This is episode 54 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode, we're going to be talking with Alex Stroll, and I've been following Alex like probably millions of you have already been doing on Instagram, and I've always been fascinated with his quiet moment style, and when I say quiet moments, I'm making air quotes with my fingers right now because those are his own words about his style from his bio on his website. I was interested to see if he thought being such a big part of Instagram and its style and that look, if he thought that he had a big influence on a lot of the posts that we see on Instagram right now. I also had a lot of questions for Alex about his recent trip, biking across Montana and shooting the entire thing on film and the difficulties that are involved with that. And also his recent venture of his photography courses called Wildest. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Alex Stroll. And and Alex, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the show and and talking with us about kind of your photography. And and I really wanted to jump in for anybody who is unfamiliar with you and, and doesn't really know your backstory in photography, kind of fill us in on how you got started and, and what led you to where you are now. Yeah, thanks, David. I'm, I'm stoked, man. It's always an, an honor to be talking about photography, and it's quite fun. I think, I mean, it's been a, you know, there's never like a major breakthrough. It's more like a, obviously, a, a journey of many failures and, and wins. Mm-hmm. But I think the most, I don't know, the, the most when I try to look back, I don't look back too often, but when I do that, I think that is just a drive, a thirst for new experiences and a lot of curiosity that has really led me to, you know, master the skill. Is it therapeutic for you to look back, even though you don't do it that often? No, I don't think so, no. Because then I think about all the other things I could have done. So it kind of stresses me out. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's why, yeah. I like to be, I mean, I'm striving to be in, 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 you know, present in the moment, which is pretty tough for a lot of us because of, you know, the distractions that exist now. And I try to, you know, I'm, I tried not to be too much in the future, but I'm really much in the future. That's my nature. Well, was there a moment when, when you picked up the camera that you kind of knew this is where you wanted to direct your life? No, I don't think so. No, it was really, it was in, in, gra- in graphic design school, uh, 2008, perhaps. Yeah. And then, um, I was just taking design classes in France and one of them had some photography. So I just went and bought like this small little Canon camera, like a very starter thing, a DSLR though, with a little 1855 lens and just started shooting my friends in the, in the snow park at a ski resort. Uh, in the Alps, mm-hmm. they're pretty sandy, so I would just go and and take photos. That I think that matched my personality, which I was never like the craziest one when it comes to doing you know ski stuff or mountain bike stuff. I was you know I was I wasn't as crazy as some of them, and then I ended up documenting them. I was like, this is so, this guy, you know, they're so nuts. I wonder how he does that. 
so I could obviously tag along and do a lot of cool good stuff, but I could never master the level that they had because I don't know, I just didn't have that switch where I can just accept any consequence. Like, oh, if you fall, you break your neck, you know, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> it, just, I mean, it came down to that, right? Like it's some pretty crazy injuries, but that matched my personality of like, well, actually, I'm just going to document that. It's kind of interesting to me. I'm wondering how they do that. You know, I was just curious of the process. So I ended up filling this, this role in my life that matched my personality, but there was never like a moment where I was like, yeah, this is my life. It, it came slowly. You said you did graphic design. Were you always artistic as a child in France? Mm, yeah. So yeah, just to get a quick background, I, I was born in Spain and then I went to school there and I ended up being sort of thanked and asked to not come back in school in Spain because <laughs> um, for various reasons. I was just kind of stubborn and had a healthy disrespect for authority back then. Mm-hmm. And I was drawing all the time these cartoons at school, you know, some of them were pretty offensive, but I was just, yeah, I was just drawing to cartoons, like not very well, but I was just keen to do that in class. And so, yeah, there's always like an expression after that, when we moved to France, uh, I started tinkering, building my own, you know, computers, like from the ground up, you know, where you used to, you used to do that. Like you just bought all the parts and the motherboard and the processor mm-hmm. and the RAM, whatever, and you'd assemble a computer. And then you know, when you have these cool computers, like, what are you going to do with it now? I guess I was just excited to build it. So now, you know, you start tinkering and you end up downloading, you know, cracking Photoshop back in the day. And yeah, I was just making my own brushes and I ended up making um, t-shirts with these brushes. The brand was called Get Funky. (laughs) It was in France, you know, I didn't really know what that meant. I just thought it sounded cool. You know, there was like funk music going on and I just thought it was cool. So yeah, there's always like an idea of, artistic expression i guess with some sort of outcome like i would try to sell the product or something i want to talk about your style alex because it's pretty distinctly different from a lot of people that i have had on the show how would you describe your style of photography i don't know it's hard for me to do that i've read a few descriptions from people on the internet and I think my favorite, my favorite one, I ended up putting it in my bio for now. It's um, quiet moments of adventure. Hmm. And I thought that could have described it because it's never like this in your face action thing. There is things going on, but I'm mostly looking for this, this moment, this instant where things align and there is a bit of peace, whether it's in the landscape, in the composition, through the trees or somebody doing something. I'm always looking for these moments where it's almost like stolen moments, right? Like, you know, when I'm having somebody model, I'm like, oh, do this, do that. And then I tell them, oh, I'm done. Then they just kind of resume to being a bit more natural. Then bam, that's why I get the photo. I was just going to say it's so much different than what typically a lot of like landscape photographers specifically, like in that niche that don't break out of it, they go for like the big moment, the big light. An adventure, but no one's really capturing those moments behind the, the quiet moments. Yeah, like the, after the sun sets, you know, I mm-hmm. love that moment. It's my favorite moment of the day. It's that, that 20 minutes of weird blue to purple gradient in the sky that I just crave it. Do you think your style really contributed to like a lot of the people on Instagram? Because as we're co- recording right now, you have a fairly large following of over 2 million people on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a wild journey. 
has it impacted the overall style of Instagram? Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to let the critics say that in 20 years, you know, when we can try to go back. It's funny. So if there's something I wonder, how is this era going to be called? You know, because like every era in photography or art has a name. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder what this is going to be. <laughs> the born of instant. Like, I don't know how we're going to call it. Like, <laughs> repeating uh, the same photos to death. I don't know. <laughs> it's, um, I feel like, at least, you know, like there's a lot of Instagram accounts now, at least in the outdoor world that make fun of like people's photos. Like, oh, you know, Insta repeat or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, it's just fun seeing that. But back in the day, I mean, it was not that many years ago, but that felt kind of creative when we were doing that. You know, this kind of compositions of the tent and the kayak and whatever. That that felt new and fresh. Obviously, when, you know, you repeat that same thing for a million times over and over, then, yeah, it becomes more repetitive and and it's disappointing to see it but do you think, I don't know if do you I think it's becoming it. more fake I don't know if fake or real means anything to me <laughs> like I don't know because <laughs> what made it real when we were doing it back then I don't know we were just doing it I guess it it loses a bit of strength because it's just somebody who's like I'm gonna try to get this shot but I feel like that's okay for a lot of these guys who are trying to, you know, grow in their photography and their vision. Like you always have to copy at the beginning and through some stages, right? You have to imitate and steal from the best, right? So I get it. You seem to blur the lines between a lot of your description of things, which, which can honestly be a good thing. And, and on your website, you say you like to blur the lines between work and life with with so many people who try to separate those two things, work and life. Why are you blending the two together? <laughs> yeah, it's funny that bio, uh, Chris Brindley Jr. wrote it. He's an um, a outdoors writer. Uh-huh. Um, and that was his perception of it. I really didn't give him any direction. So he perceived that. I couldn't really put my name on it yet when he did it a few years ago. But I think when you do, you know, adventure, travel, photography, it's, for a lot of people's perception is like, oh, what, you get paid to go to this place and make photos? It sounds like a holiday, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it, except it isn't, except that you, if, if you're driven, you know, if you're, not, <laughs> if you're not trying to mail it in and you're trying to give it your best, you, that, it's not a vacation. You're just like sunrise to sunset, trying to find the best views and the best places, talking to locals, taking a lot of random turns, getting, you know, not lost, but going, just wasting time on some things. But it's the drive to to get the perfect, or at least as close as possible to perfect, that keeps you going. And it's not a vacation when you you know do a travel gig or, or even like a, a big commercial project for like a car brand where you have to travel across the country or something with a car and make a road trip or whatnot. That's just work. But there is there is a lot of times where you're just wondering, right? Because you you know you take a break and you go for lunch and you have a nice little coffee in the sun and you're like, it's pretty nice, right? I could be in an office. That's where you're like. Not sure if if you really, I don't know if you're reading this alternate reality to most. So I think that's why Chris just wrote it that way. Because um, now it's funny, like five years after that bio was written. Yeah, it's been five years as well. That, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been making a point to separate a bit more. Um, hmm. So that's why I ended up getting a studio here 
and like a studio in town where I go do my work and, you know, come back up to the house and, and vice versa to have a bit more delimitation. And I think it's important as you grow into a, relation, a relationship with somebody, you know, and you want to have a family, et cetera, you have to have a bit more boundaries because when you just, you know, just you and you're just dating your girlfriend and you kind of live in different places, you know, it's, it's okay to kind of be a workaholic, <laughs> but mm-hmm. there there has to be some boundary, I guess. My message would be that, yeah. So there has to be some boundary, and it has to be the one that works for you and for me, separating physical spaces. Are those type of boundaries new for you and implementing those into your life and work? Yeah, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, new, fairly new. It's been a, maybe, we got the studio two years ago. So yeah, it's a two years ago project. Is it pose challenge for you in your work? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm, yeah, I think I'm very much on or off, right? Like I can go hiking with, without a camera, although it's tough. But, you know, if, if one day I'm not, I'm not feeling it, I'm just not going to kick myself for that, you know, for not mm-hmm. feeling like taking photos. But sometimes you have to. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously I think any, any creative struggles with that, that balance of should I be, you know, taking more photos? Should I be doing more time with my friends and family? And I think there's no... You know, it's just constantly evolving and every year you have a, you develop a bit more skill to it, but it's still a work in progress. You mentioned commercial work. This is something, Alex, that, that I found really interesting about Wildest and, and when you started that, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, but mm-hmm. the commercial work, I feel like for outdoor nature, landscape photographers, whatever you want to call them in that niche. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of the nature photography specific people are hesitant to get into that line of work. Why do you think that is? You mean for um like if you like you mentioned going out and doing some shoots for brands or a car shoot, commercial shoots, things like that. And you mean some people like some landscape photographers are not sure about getting into that field? Yeah. Mm, really? I mean, I, think... I would say 90% of the people who have come onto this show don't do or don't do that work or it's not even on their radar. Really? Mm-hmm. What do they do? I guess I don't want to be interviewing you, but I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. I would say for the most part, like the crew or the group that I kind of hang with in landscape photography is predominantly uh, online courses, uh, Mm. webinars, they do workshops in the field. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, you know, they're not doing the commercial jobs. Mm. So that's the thing, man. I don't discriminate. I do everything because I I do online workshops. I do in-person workshops and I also do commercial work. I feel like whatever matches my goals, you know, and if my goal is to build a career in photography and help people get better, improve their vision in photography, then I'm going to do anything that supports that goal. So if it means going the commercial route, cool. If it means also doing classes, I'll do classes. It's, it's, I guess it's, I'm trying to match my decisions with my intentions. Well, that gets me thinking, are there different groups in the outdoor photography world because you know we just talked about the people that i predominantly talk to Mm -hmm. or spend time with in the field feel that way 
I got the exact same reaction that you just gave me from Chris Burkard when I had him on the show of, of kind <laughs> of shock that that people weren't doing that type of work. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah, Chris is a good buddy and the one of the other guys who, you know, does everything that supports his goals, right? And beyond. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest guys, you know, hardest working guys I know. So yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know what the motivations are for you know, some of your, your group not to do commercial photography, but if, is it because it denatures what they, you know, their vision is? I don't know. I guess maybe it could be in a way, I think fear of, of trying something new in nature of, you know, working with people or working with other objects as subjects instead of Mm. just keeping it nature. I mean, I really admire that and I respect it. I enjoy the most just going in in the woods and making photos just, you know, of of what's in front of me. (laughs) That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And if you keep keep it that way, I think it's great. But I I think it's, if I go into the woods for too long by myself, I end up being kind of bored, Mm -hmm. you know, for like a few days. Like it just, it's nice the first day and second day. After that, I'm like, man, I wish I was sharing this with somebody. So, and then I ended up taking photos of my friends and on hikes, you know, on our outings on our little missions and then that's when i started to be really interested in mixing both like the human element in the landscape so i'd say it's like baby steps but i've i've always i always joke that it's it's the you know (laughs) we i did this long project for land rover and oftentimes you know we'd set up we'd be on the road for a month and we'd set up camp at night and i was like always every night i was like I'd like to be able to take a photo of this camp scene because it's cool. Mm -hmm. So the positioning of a car and a tent and a landscape behind that triangle, that trifecta of three things is really hard for a photographer to place those things right in a a way that looks natural, but also good. So that's exactly what you're describing. It's like, I think it's that mixing these three, three or four elements at once that can be a bit overwhelming for somebody who's used to shooting a landscape right and and i think you said it just just right right there it was uh overwhelming i, I was going to use the word intimidating it might be be a little intimidating <laughs> for bringing in subjects like that yeah i get it i mean i respect their choice but i think that it doesn't hurt to stretch and to expand beyond what you think is possible you know you're capable of much more if you want I mentioned- it yeah, for sure. I mentioned Wildest a little bit. Being such uh, an acclaimed outdoor photographer, why start something like Wildest if you could host the courses on just your website? <laughs> it's funny. So that's how it started, right? It used mm-hmm. to be called, I used to, I just made a workshop in 2017 or 18 called the Adventure Photography Workshop. That mm-hmm. was just my thing. And it was sold on my website, pretty simple. And then the response was so great that I ended up building something a little bigger. It was called Strollworks. And then I got a few friends to make workshops to, you know, together. We made some workshops, uh, people like Finn Beals and Benjamin Hartman. And then we just wanted to, I wanted to, dis- disaster- as the thing grew and I started hiring people to, you know, help me run it, I wanted to dis- dis- uh, not associate my name with it anymore. I don't know how you say disassociate, <laughs> just yeah, to yeah. like not be attached to it anymore, just because I think it would limit the growth of the project. Hmm. So 
because I think a lot of photographers, you know, most photographers, you know, use their name as their brand, right? So uh-huh. I thought it'd be best hard for, I don't know, to take the example we just talked about for a CRISPR card to be attached with Strollworks. You know, it could be, you could see that as like, oh, they're boosting my brand. You know, well, it could be seen like that by some of the more protective photographers. I don't think Chris would, but it could be seen as that. So if we just turn this into wildest, this is just a brand, you know, it's not me anymore. And then we can just go and grow beyond, you know, our wildest dreams. When you start something like that, is it more difficult? I don't want to say more difficult. Did you hesitate to rebrand because of the slow growth that you could start from the ground up? Whereas you already had a huge following attached to your name. Yeah, but I felt like we were at a point where we had enough of a, of a, of a loyal student base, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, last time I checked, it was a few months ago, it was over 10,000 people. And I thought that was you know, more than enough to run any business. Like you don't that, need millions of customers unless, you, unless you're Casper or, you know, one of the <laughs> DTC brands. You need millions, sure. But when you're not into hard goods, right, when you sell online things, there's less overhead, less cost of business. So you don't need that massive. I mean, obviously, we want way more students, but there is not a need. So I felt like we are at a place where we could afford not to have a stroll attached to it. And it was only going to help it actually not to have that. What's the response been from people who have signed up for it and bought the courses? I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but there's thousand reviews, I think, uh, combined on all our workshops. And the average was like 4.89 stars, something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's the numbers I get, but what I like is just sometimes going reading a random review and I'm like, what the word I look for always is actionable and personable. Mm-hmm. Those are two things I want the brand to be. And we want that to be with, uh, Laura Schmaustig, the, the gal who runs it now. Um, we're always striving to be, yeah, personable and actionable. So not as stiff as the usual education you might see online. Yeah. Did that go into planning for like each of the chapters that go into the course or did you leave that up to the photographers who are on there? Oh, no, no, I'm really involved in, uh-huh. in, in any title and any chapter just because it has to match that actionable and approachable. Interesting. What's that yeah, process th- like? Well, it's simple because I can, you know, I can, I, because it's photography workshops, I know what they're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's easy it's hard when you're, you know, when you're building a class as a teacher, I can empathize with that. Like to get all these things out of your head that you've never gotten out of your head, it's hard. So sometimes you end up going down some rabbit holes or some things that only matter to you. So you need somebody to be like, mm, yeah, this is not necessary. This actually, they want to hear more about this instead. So just putting yourself in the audience foot while understanding what's going on and what's being said by the teacher. I think that's a combo that, you know, few people can offer, but it, that's more mainly what I spend my time doing in the company now. It's just trying to make things more approachable and the way they're marketed and built. So the process is simple. It's like, hang on, does this mean, can, can this be said more simply? Do we need a second sentence to explain this, the sentence above? <laughs> Stuff like that. What about like at the beginning of the courses, what I found interesting is that, and 
by the way, you're not paying me to say any of this. I just think this is really relatable <laughs> right. right now to, to the photography <laughs> world. <laughs> um, I found it very relatable that. Oh, okay. That makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. I found it very relatable at the very beginning of each of the ones that I've watched that the photographer kind of gives you their backstory maybe mm. drives you around town and shows you how they started because yeah. it's easy to see these guys or girls in, in the state that they're in right now. And it's really mm. hard to have that perspective of everybody starts at zero, you know? Oh yeah. You have to know that backstory to care about them more and to want to learn from them. That's why we do it. Who is one of those people that you looked up to like that when you were starting at zero? Man, I think there was, when I was in starting university, I looked up to the, uh, I mean, the, there was really um, the work of uh, Robert Guano, the French photographer. Mm -hmm. um, his first color stuff in Palm Springs was that book has been always been on my nightstand as a you know as a student so I always had it there and then in, in something that's more approachable and actionable I think Chase Jarvis in that time was really putting out content every minute of the day and I thought it was mm -hmm. insane and all the work he would do and then funny enough also I was just looking at Chris Burkhardt's website I think at that time he was going for this Red Bull Illum contest or something I was like oh that's so cool you know and kind of all went through 60 and ended up doing classes with Chris. But that's the message is that, you know, I was there too, just like wondering what would it be like. And with enough curiosity and drive, it has to be a passionate drive, right? You can do it. What does it mean to you now knowing that those people mentioning Chris and Chase, you're friends with them now, you work with them on a pretty regular basis or talk to them on a regular basis? Yeah, I don't talk to Chase as often as I'd like, but he's a busy guy. <laughs> Just mm -hmm. kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we did a workshop together. I mean, I interviewed him for a workshop, actually, um, a few months ago. It's good. It feels like, you know, kind of in a way, it feels like you've arrived. How so? But, well, it feels like, you know, these people that you're, you know, looking up to, you're like, oh, well, actually, we're in this, you know, we're in a similar field now. We're in in, in the same space and it's, it's quite enjoyable. It's quite beautiful. Hey guys, I just want to fill you in on a little bit of a gift that I have for you as a thank you for listening to the podcast. What I wanted to do is give you a free course. If you go to my website, davidjohnstonart.com right now, for a limited time, I have a free next level compositions course for landscape photography. That's a full course, seven chapters over an hour long of the composition tips that I use in the field to help me level up my images. And this isn't like those basic fundamental composition tips and tricks that you get on every single YouTube video. These are those next steps that you can take to improve your compositions and landscape photography. Again, that course is completely free. It's right on my homepage of the website. Again, that's davidjohnstonart.com. So head over there and get the free course right now. Let's talk about your recent trip. I'm very intrigued by this because I'm an avid backpacker myself. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about this of, of your recent 
uh, biking trip yeah. through Montana. Give us a bird's eye view of the project and what you did. Yeah. I mean, not to get into data, but overall it was over 500 miles of riding, 50 miles a day, about 30,000 feet of elevation gain over um, 10 days. So it's 3,000 a day. So not, not a ton, but still a healthy amount with 80 pound bikes. Um, we, yeah, I mean, the, I had this idea of wanting to walk across Montana this summer mm-hmm. and then because I thought there was not going to be any jobs to do. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll just do that all summer. Kind of thing. <laughs> and then there's some things to do. Um, and I ended up not having time to walk across because it takes much longer than bike. So I was like, well, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just going bike to bike across. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a different way to see the state. And every time I get to the top of the hill, I can just coast down instead of walk down. So I was pretty hooked on that idea. <laughs> so I just, uh, you know, worked hard to convince my buddy. I mean, it wasn't that hard because he's always in for cool adventures, but I convinced my buddy Isaac Johnston, which could be in your family, I think, David. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah the Johnston. <laughs> so I call him John Star, but <laughs> I convinced him to, um, to do that. And we got these bikes from Bearclaw. Uh, bicycle manufacturer out of Michigan, Upper Peninsula. Uh, Jason runs it. Anyways, he, uh, you know, he built some bikes for us with the specs that we needed to go, you know, do this pretty hefty trip. I know people bike across the world, et cetera, right? But that takes years. But we, we wanted to do something more concentrated and keep it simple in our own backyard, you know. It's like if I don't bike across Montana during COVID, you know, when am I, when am I going to do it? Because I'm always otherwise across the world. So I was like, this is the perfect year for it. So... Overall, that was the idea, and we did training rides. And um, I thought to switch it up, I wasn't going to be documenting the thing on Instagram too much, no Insta stories every day. And the biggest thing was I didn't take a digital camera with me. I shot the whole thing on a little um, Canon Elan 7E, which is like a little film DSLR that's very small. With a, I literally went to eBay and bought a 28-millimeter lens from Canon with autofocus mm-hmm. for hundred dollars, 50, I don't know how much it was. And it was like a secondhand little lens. I wanted everything to fit in a pocket, like in the little pouch I have on my handlebar. Mm-hmm. So that's why the, the space was important. And then I got a bunch of Ektar 100 film and some Portra 400, about uh, 15 rolls that I took with me. And off we went. Why film? I know. <laughs> That's why I wondered when I was you know, <laughs> having trouble with this film that wouldn't rewind. I was like, why film? I was like, Damn it. <laughs> There's a reason. So I was like, in my sleeping bag in the middle of the day, rewinding this film that got screwed in the middle, you know, like somewhere dark, so hand rewinding it inside the camera. Uh, it's like, damn it, that was dumb. But after that, everything was smooth. It's just, I think it was user error or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, I wanted to be in the moment more you know like i was saying at the beginning i'm trying to be more in the moment so i'm trying to support my intentions intentions with actions and i feel like with film you know you're not reviewing the back of your camera you're not you're not shooting 20 frames of this thing you're just shooting one or two and that's it and then you're moving on with your day and that was very liberating to me it's something i have yet to experience again it's just that yeah oh let me take one quick photo here but Keep going. And also, more technically, I think film does better in daylight. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's like noon, because we were rarely riding at cool times of the day, right? We'd wake up, have breakfast, and, you know, leave at 9 or 10 or 11, depending on how, how, how much we could be bothered to be fast. <laughs> and then we just end up, you know, ride six hours and it'd be time for dinner. 
you know, like the, the goal of the trip was to have fun, not to take photos. So, you know, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat dinner and I'll take photos after, you know, it was that kind of thing. And we were hungry, trust me, <laughs> but <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I just wanted to be liberated and, and, and just be more in the moment. And I think film definitely achieved that for me. Compare and contrast though, your connection with the outdoors and your trip with film and digital. What do you mean? Like, did you enjoy the process of film more so than oh, yeah. your digital work that you would implement film into your future work as well? Yeah. So it's funny. I just did uh, this shoot with uh, Meta, like the mag as a motorcycle magazine, right? Meta.com. Mm -hmm. um, buddy Ben Guise is the art director there. He, um, yeah, he just had this concept. Well, I mean, he had a something he needed to do. <laughs> it's like a, a trip that needed to happen. So he came up here actually two, a few days ago and we went out and shot some motorcycles and with, uh, it was for Danner, Danner boots that were mm -hmm. part of the project. So I ended up shooting everything on film again. And that's because there were vintage motorcycles, vintage dirt bikes. So I thought it matched the whole thing. You know, everybody was kind of dressed period, correct. Just wearing jeans and old shirts. It was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I thought shooting it with film would match again. And yeah, I shot the whole thing on, on film. So there we go. Commercial application was already, has already been done. I got to tell you, man, I started with film in high school and mm -hmm. developing my own prints and stuff in a dark room. Yep. I would be so scared to do that for a commercial project just because of the error that can occur without seeing the product immediately on the back of my camera. Thanks. Thanks for uh, stressing me out about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought about that too. It felt like a, it felt like a gamble, but honestly, I shot that with the EOS 3. It's my big boy DSLR film. Um, and I've shot a lot of rolls on that camera, and I know it's never really crapped out on me. So I felt pretty confident about it. You when know, you, when you brought up the idea, though, did, did Danner Boots or, or the Motorcycle Magazine yeah. kind of question it a little? I don't think Danner knows. Okay. <laughs> that we wasn't run by them. And Surprise. I told Ben, I told Ben on the way there, literally on the way to go ride. So he didn't make a, he didn't turn pale or anything. He's like, oh, cool. So nice. <laughs> yeah, it was a surprise. I, in hindsight, I should have probably, you know, explained this to Ben before. Um, but I just didn't even occur to me. It's like, ah, it's going to be awesome. He's going to love it. Matches the concept. And Ben was also there shooting some photos too, just in case. So we'll have something. With your idea of, of biking across Montana, what are you going to do with those images? Yeah, I wanted to go beyond putting them, you know, just on Instagram or well, website or some blogs. I'm certainly going to do some, some of that, of course. There's not, nothing wrong with it. But I want to go beyond. And I did a book back in 2015 called Alternative Living, and it was really fun to actually just put out a, an object out. So I think I'm going to do a book again about the, the bike trip. It's going to be either a book or a zin, like a soft cover book. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm actually, I'm doing this with state film out of, uh, I think there's somewhere south. I always forget. Tennessee, maybe? No, Kansas City. It's a state film. And they're going to send me actually five by seven prints of every photo, like proofs. Mm -hmm. So about 500 five by sevens. And I want to build the format of the, of the book on, you know, I'm going to hijack a room here at the house and just 
put everything on the ground and work out the flow of the book by hand versus doing that on InDesign or on Illustrator Canvas or whatever. I wanted to really go an analog all the way. And then once the layout is done, then I can send a photo of that to the printer with the scans. We have the scans, but I don't want to work on the scans, you know. I mean, I'd maybe do some correction, but I want to work out the flow of it, like what what goes onto each page by hand. I want to ask you this, Alex. Doing this book and doing this whole biking trip seems like Mm -hmm. a strong personal project and a personal desire for you with the year that we're going through right now with COVID-19, why take on a personal project like this? I feel like, the, yeah, I mean, it's, there's more time to do it, right? Like work uh-huh. is not the same, like things are picking up, but there's still free time and I really value it and I want to make the most of it because I know it doesn't last forever. So I thought it'd be uh, the perfect way to rekindle the inner fires to go do this project. How do you make something like a personal project last? And and when I say last, I mean maybe give you more opportunities down the road. Mm. Yeah, I think is it Seth Godin or um, Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk? One of the mm-hmm. two talk about like you have to spend like a lot of people spend uh, you know a monstrous amount of time making one thing like 90% 90% of the time is spent making it and 10% is marketing it mm-hmm. and that's that's what the it doesn't last as long right versus you know spending maybe 70% of the time making it and 30% of the time marketing it marketing it or even 50-50 i think that's much smarter if you want it to be longer lasting have more effects i mean is it tim ferris that famously spends <laughs> a year choosing a cover for his book, you know? Yeah. He spends, uh, I mean, he starts marketing his book, you know, two years before it's going to even release, right? (laughs) That's crazy. That is crazy. I could never do that. Do you have the patience to do things like that? I don't, but we should ask, you should have Ben Tibbetts next on the show. He is, uh, yeah, you like him. He's a Alpine photographer from the UK, but lives in Chamonix now. Mountain guide, badass guy and really fun. Very, um, very Scottish. <laughs> and, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And he, he spent seven years shooting this book project and going four times. You know, I went on one of these missions with him and we'd go up this mountain and then we'd have an amazing sunrise. And he's like, I'm trying to get a photo of the backside of the Mont Blanc from the Aosta Valley in Italy. I'm like, cool. And we go there and he's like, wow, let's look at the sunrise. He's like, mm, too many clouds. Oh, so he's going to, I'm going to go back next week. So it's like that kind of drive. He wants to get every photo perfect in the book and it takes him seven years. So (laughs) we should probably ask Ben Tibbetts how he gets the patience to do that. I really respect it. (laughs) All right. I'm writing his name down in that specific (laughs) question right now. Oh, dude. (laughs) Yeah. I'd I'd love to hear his answer because when I ask him, you know, he's always, he always laughs. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He's like, oh, I don't know, Shulman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Say something like that. That was a great Scottish accent. Oh, that's too generous. I'm pretty bad at that. <laughs> well, we've talked about, you know, your photography, specifically personal projects, what you enjoy about it. We've talked about the business side a little bit, maybe branching out into new avenues and branding and marketing. Do you consider yourself more so a photographer than an entrepreneur or the other way around? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good one, David. I think it's, I think I'm more of a, a traveler. 
before anything. A traveler. Yeah. You know, like a citizen of the world, if we can mm-hmm. say that in 2020. <laughs> Not really anymore for now, but yeah, I feel like I don't feel tied to any borders or whatever. I just, I just like being in new places. And if I have a camera, cool, cool. If I have a notepad, cool. Whatever. I think I'm a better traveler than I'm a photographer. So definitely, I think more of a yeah traveler. And obviously, I like entre- entrepreneurship, but that's because it supports traveling. Mm-hmm. What's traveling going to be like in the future? Hmm. Well, all depends, right? If we get a vaccine that can be distributed to the world population, mm-hmm. then things might look pretty normal. If And that's going to probably take some time. But I hate to say it, but I feel like it's going to be a battle of the classes again, where all the more wealthy countries will be resuming their operations once they get their vaccine in. And then a lot of the, you know, countries that are less favored, that are, you know, not as wealthy, will be blacklisted mm-hmm. until they get their things sorted out. So I hope it doesn't go that way. But you know, if history teaches us something is that it kind of goes that way. Well, he's Alex Stroll. Alex, I want to thank you for coming on and, and talking with us about <laughs> photography. Thanks, David. It was awesome, dude.